you look at the reasons why video works, at the top level, you've got emotional storytelling and it's very much on a device in our hands. So we've suddenly got a way of communicating on a very deep level with people very personally. So we can do storytelling with video like no other format. You are listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? Great question. In short, it's a good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing for you. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. In today's episode, we're covering leveraging video for marketing with John Moet. He is a true expert in the world of content marketing and video with over two decades of experience. He has written two fantastic books on video marketing and is the managing director of the renowned video marketing agency, Hurricane. He's crafted successful video campaigns for big names like Sonofi and Bupa, the World Bank, and the Salvation Army, just to name a few. Get ready for some incredible insights from this multi-award-winning mastermind, including his latest work with the World Food Program. So let's get started. Let's Talk Marketing with John. John, welcome to Let's Talk Marketing. I'm excited to have you on here. Thank you so much for coming on. It's nice to be here. Good to see you. We're going to be chatting about how you can leverage video for marketing strategies. But before we dive into that, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So some basic questions for you. would love to hear what your first marketing role was or what you would define as like a marketing role and what your current role is. Cool. My background was at the BBC where I was a program maker. So my first role was kind of very much on the other side. It wasn't brand side. It was like content side, making documentaries. And then I left the BBC the same year that YouTube started. And I don't really think I noticed the first marketing thing that I did. But I think right back in 2006, started making YouTube films and then some for brands. And then really, it was only about five or six years later that it was like, oh, I work in marketing. Do you know what I mean? It was like video went from just production to video marketing, which was about suddenly much more measurable things. So that's how I sort of came into it. Um, so now I run a video marketing agency or a social first video agency, and we do lots of proper marketing stuff now. So yeah, I'm the MD there and I work as a consultant with brands. So I spend a lot of time talking to marketing directors, marketing managers, like, okay, what are you trying to do? And then how do we use video to do that? It's normally grow awareness, drive conversions, all that kind of stuff. So very much into it now. I think there's so much storytelling in everything that you do. What do you love about what you do? But on the other side, what would you pluck out? And by pluck out, I mean, I love my job. If I could just remove this, it would be perfection. I'm a people person. And I think the best thing about what I do is I meet loads of different people and we have a deep conversation around what are the struggles that you have, what challenges do you face, but at a really high level. So you deep dive into people's businesses very quickly. And especially in video and brand video, if you're trying to make a brand video that's 30 seconds long, 60 seconds long, you have to condense everything down into this really sort of nugget of information, like what you stand for. So I really love that. I really love emotionally engaging with people. So it's all about making that emotional connection with people, whether that's in a a strong documentary or just a 30 second app. So I love 
meeting people, finding out what the problems they face are, solving those with emotion. I think, what could I do without? I mean, for me, it's just the sheer amount of stuff going on in life. I could just hone that down. I'm very enthusiastic about it all as well. So I lean into things a lot. The ability to step away a little bit would be nice, but I have to say there's nothing in my job that I would get rid of because I've got an amazing team. I've got 20 people. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Probably less screen time. My eyes are knackered because I'm looking at too many screens. Yeah. So if we could go back a couple of years and I have more in-person meetings, I think my life would be perfect. But 10 hours a day on the screen is not good for anybody, right? Yeah, so more in-person and also actual. I'm putting out my hands like it's a that's the sign language for book, you know. But being able to be informed and stay up to date with something that's not on a screen is so nice. I find that being able to like sit out somewhere and read something or just listen to something maybe so that you're not always in front of a screen. I think what's really happening now is conferences are back in a big way. So I do a lot of conferences. That isn't a brag. I'm just like, do you know what I mean? I was in Denmark last week. I'm in Cyprus in a few weeks. And it's like actually being in front of people learning, not looking at a screen is so refreshing. And I think that's the really nice thing that is back. So people can learn without doing a YouTube tutorial or whatever. That's very true. Now, this is ironic that we're talking so much about being away from your screen, because my next question is, in the world that we live in right now, people gravitate towards social networks for so many different things, for inspiration, entertainment, and just kind of education. So I'm wondering what social networks, if any, do you go to for either inspiration, entertainment, or education? The social channels I'm using at the moment called We Are Eight. It's a really exciting, socially conscious driven platform. It doesn't have an algorithm. It's still got creators and content makers and all those sort of things, but it is advertising funded. But the good thing is that you choose to watch an advert and every time you do it, you get six cents or eight cents or six P. So you actually get paid for watching ads and some of the money goes to charity. I love that platform. It's really challenging the monopoly of Facebook and Meta and that kind of Google monster by putting forward a different model of social. So I'm on that one. And then for work, I'm afraid I'm on all of them, TikTok, Insta. I have to consume them. But the one that I actually spend the most time on is is YouTube because I find the landscape format where you're deep diving into entertainment. Like I get distracted by shorts. I'm trying not to be. But the long form documentary stuff, six, seven, eight minutes. I think that's what I enjoy. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And we will dive into what you can do in a YouTube short versus what you can do in like the six to seven minutes and how you can hone that in as a marketer. Now, outside of social networks, where do you go or how do you stay up to date on the trends that are going on? I mean, I'm really lucky because I'm at conferences quite regularly. I just sit in at other conferences. So I was at a publishing conference last week and I found out some amazing stuff about publishing networks. So I think for me, normally that's what I tend to do is go to a conference, find out about a new trend, and then I'll just Google it and just have a little read around it. But I do consume podcasts when I find a topic, but I'll tend to come at it from the topic angle rather than regular listen. But, you know, I'd love to do more podcasts because you're off screens a bit. You are off screens a bit, except for when they're audio video. Which when they're video as well. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I feel like everybody consumes things in such different ways. You have to be able to give people options for how they want to consume it. Some people want to read the whole transcript. Why you would want to, I have no idea, but maybe they're highlighter people. Some people want to be able to see the nuances and the expressions of someone's face. And some people just want to be able to listen to it while they're walking their dog. I use a podcast to multitask. I have to be doing multiple things in order to be consuming something. 
The reason I'm also so excited about talking to you, because now we're in the strategy part, it's because I think that video has become so incredibly prolific. And before we dive too deep into just how you can leverage video for marketing, I'd love to get your take on why. Why is video so huge right now for storytelling? Without going into too much things, I think if you look at the reasons why video works, at the top level, you've got emotional storytelling and it's very much on a device in our hands. So we've suddenly got a way of communicating on a very deep level with people very personally. So we can do storytelling with video like no other format. Yeah. We can tell strong emotional stories. But also I think we need to add into that the mere fact that there is something very satisfying about handling a phone. It gives us little dopamine rewards. These devices are manufactured, so we keep going back to them. So we're picking them up all the time and there's a reward for every time we pick them up. So when you're searching for something on YouTube and you find something, you get a little kick of dopamine because it rewards your search behavior. So they're almost semi-addictive devices, aren't they? Let's be honest. Yeah. There's a big discussion around, is it addictive or not? but merely that actually because you get dopamine hits a lot, your brain tells you that as a source of things where you're going to find things rewarding. Also, it's moving image. So you've got these cells in your eyes called the ganglion cells, and they've evolved so that we don't get eaten by snakes. You know, if there's a movement, you get attracted to it. So suddenly we've got these devices in our hands that attract our attention all the time. This is why if your phone is face down on the other side of the room and the LinkedIn alert goes off or whatever alert it is, you have the little light comes on and you're instantly attracted to it. So just moving image is really attractive. And then the main reason it's so powerful at the moment is targeting. We can target people by interest groups, age, demographics, likes. Mm -hmm. We can start retargeting them based on what they go and browse. So the mobile phone is the most powerful tool for marketing we've ever had. And then video on it is probably the most powerful thing we've got. So it used to be video was part of marketing. And I think very much now it kind of is marketing because its tendrils are in every part, right? Whether you're trying to yeah. drive SEO on site or you're trying to get attention with paid ads, it's going to be moving image. Yeah, I would agree. I also think it's easier to consume certain things in a video format as well, too. You retain much more information. Exactly. One of the things that I wanted to double click on that you had said was the emotion part, because you've said this actually a few times, even just starting off. It's the emotion part that I think makes a really compelling video effective. How do you hone in on the emotion part? Or maybe we can just break down the emotion part. What do you mean by that? What emotion are you talking about that we need to tap into from a video format for it to be successful? Okay. So there's three sections to that. It's a really, really good question. It's like kind of what is an emotional thing? Yeah. How do we leverage it and what does it do? So fundamentally, if we look at what happens when we have an emotional response, and you've chosen a kind of one there, being happy, being sad, being made to laugh. What happens is that you actually release various neurochemicals. You're going to be releasing endorphins. You're going to be releasing dopamine. You're going to be releasing all sorts of sort of nice things that happen when you feel an emotion. And the reason is because we're emotional beings. That's how we bond with other people. We connect emotionally with them. So when you tell an emotional story, what happens is this, your blood chemistry changes. And there's been some amazing research done, which basically showed that the level of chemicals that are changed in your bloodstream directly affect the amount of behavior change you would do. So they did a study where they showed a very emotional video about a child dying of cancer. And then immediately after they measured blood chemistry before and after, and they asked people if they would donate money to charity. And the people who had the biggest response in terms of dopamine and endorphins, they actually gave more money to charity. So what we can show is that we can change behavior by changing brain chemistry. 
So what happens is you show an emotional film, there is an emotional response, there is a neurochemical response, and that actually affects people's behavior, which is really fascinating because we can push emotions to do things. But then also there's this whole kind of like system one, system two, which is a book in itself, but we have two ways that our brain thinks about the world. We have system one and system two. Your listeners have probably heard of this, but system one is the subconscious. It's our, our sort of lower brain, lizard brain. It what helps us to react very quickly to things. It's why we make snap decisions. It's also the kind of thing where we drive in autopilot. So if you're driving along, sometimes you drive along and you get where you're going, but you don't quite remember driving there. Do you know what I mean, you were kind of in autopilot. That's your system one brain taking over because it doesn't use much glucose. And then we have system two, which is conscious decision-making. This is like, I've got a mortgage, where am I going to live? But actually the hardest thing to change is system two, because it's very logical. And if we can get system one to quickly make a decision, we'll go with that very quickly, which is why politics is messaging is becoming quite emotive. Because if you talk to that emotional connection, that system one brain, and you just decide you like it, then almost system two doesn't even get a look in. So this idea that we're talking to an emotionally driven system one brain is really massive in marketing. So the way we leverage that is we go, okay, who are we talking to? What is the thing that's going to capture their attention quickly? And it could be happy, could be sad. But actually, if we're talking like a B2B market, you're not always doing a big charity thing where you're saving the world, but people suffer from FOMO. They worry they're going to lose their job. They worry that everyone else is overtaking them. So those emotional drivers are the real reason that somebody will buy your product. So what we're looking to do when we make content is figure out what that emotional driver is. What's the thing that really people care about? And then you just mercilessly squeeze on that because that's where you're going to get the thing. So whenever we make a film, we talk about three structures, emotion, fact, and action. Yeah. So we need to make an emotional connection with somebody. Then we can drive them with some facts. We can tell them some stuff and then we can drive an action. And that can be in the form of a campaign or just in a brand film. So if you don't make that emotional connection first and you don't have a reason to purchase, there's nothing that this is going to do for me. You can say all the cool facts and features till you're blue in the face. No one's going to buy it. But if you convince somebody straight up front, you understand their lives and you get it and you're going to make their lives better, then you've done half the job already. I couldn't agree with you more on this, not just because it's science and that's the way the brain works yeah, and yeah. dopamine and all of that stuff, but I'm also just such a big believer that the brands that put themselves first, that don't put the consumer first in what they're doing from a marketing perspective really loses out. I've seen people get so hyper-focused on the right words to tell them about themselves versus speak to their pain points. You're expecting, I think, as a brand, if you're just focused on talking about yourself and not focused on the consumer and what they're feeling and what their pain points are, then you're just asking them to sit there and watch you talk about you. I feel like when you break it down in that way, you're like, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. But now as a marketer, I'm like, okay, well, how can I create something that emotes anything out of freaking fidget toys? You're lucky there with a fidget toy. So let's say you're marketing to parents. I mean, you're putting me on the spot now, but actually every parent wants their child to be happy. And if your child suffers yeah. from ADHD or they're on the spectrum in some way, probably isn't politically correct the right way to discuss it anymore. But you know, there's a reason why this child is suffering. That fidget toy is going to make them feel better. And that as a parent makes me feel warm and fluffy. And I know I'm helping my kid, right? Sure. Here's a kid in distress, $9.99 for a fidget toy. And I can soothe that child. That's a straight emotional straight line for me. Yes, you're selling the fidget toy and you can talk about how much it bends and everything, but it's like, look at what you're doing for that child's life. They'll be able to learn better. They'll be able to concentrate in school. So that's an easy one to do an emotional connection on. I've got a really good example of one 
where they've worked really hard. So there's a piece of financial software, I think it's called Talia, and it does electronic invoicing. And they're a really dull piece of software, which is really exciting if you're into it, but you can submit invoices electronically. How am I going to make any kind of emotional connection? And they had a bit of fun with it. And they basically said, if you're working in office and you input invoices manually, you're going to get a stiff wrist and you get an RSI, right? If you get an RSI, you have to take time off work. If you take time off work, the intern fills in. If the intern fills in, they do a better job than you do. If they do a better job than you do, they get a job and then they get the job as your boss. And their idea was don't let the intern become your boss. Use this electronic invoicing so you don't get RSI. And it's a fun little thing, but it acknowledges like the only reason you're going to use this is because you don't want to lose your job. I think that's a really nice, funny, emotional connection. It's a really good film, actually. That is a really good example. And I'm very impressed with how fast you came up with the fidget toy, too. It's almost like we planned it out, which we very much so didn't. And this happens to be my very own fidget toy because pretty sure I'm undiagnosed ADHD because I go down every single rabbit hole. Something shiny. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what happens if you work in marketing, I think. It makes you into that. Kind of does because I feel like you have to always be aware of so many different things that are going on. And to me, I find inspiration in pretty much anything and everywhere. So that's kind of part of it as well, too. I think going back to what you just asked about, though, right? So I think as marketers, we're like, which is the new social channel? What's the new tech? Interactive video, personalized video. It's like we get distracted, but you keep bringing it back to what is the emotional driver that my audience cares about? What am I really doing for them? I'm going to hammer that. So it doesn't matter what the new platform is. You just keep pushing that message on whichever platform it is, rather than getting distracted by the tech or those kind of things. It's just telling that story. And that's what we always come back to. So we're working with, if marketers are thinking about how can I use this? We work with Booper, who are a global healthcare company. I don't know if they're in the States or not, but they're in South America, definitely. So how do you just talk about private healthcare. Well, actually, by owning the conversation around well-being at work and wellness at work, looking after yourself, meditating, but also structurally making sure that the company is looking after its people, suddenly we can run a marketing campaign around how to be better in your life, how to get a better life work balance. And all of this emotional stuff is so relevant to us at the moment because of burnout, because of working from home. It's really important. And yet that is now owned by this private healthcare company. So it's not just going, if you sign up to us, you're going to get X, Y, Z. It's like, we care about this stuff. We care about you. We care about this topic. We're thought leaders. And suddenly you just open up the conversation in a totally different way. I can definitely appreciate what it is that you're saying. And if I'm just a fly on the wall and I'm listening to you, I'm like, okay, sold. I'm buying what you're selling. (laughs) Emotions are important. I like that. But how do I actually even attempt to implement something like that in-house? Let's say I am working for, I don't want to say a boring company. Challenging company. A challenging, right? Where people are very much so like, no, we've got to push our narrative, right? Is there an activity? What can I put in place? How do I find the emotion as a marketer listening on the brand side? How do I find that emotion so that I can implement that in my strategies? Yeah. And there's also a danger you overdo it, right? We've all seen adverts which are like plinky, plonky, tickly piano music. And it's all for there's every single race and there's disabilities, but there's everything in there. And it's a really generic film about struggle or something. You've no idea. And then it turns out to be for a supermarket or a mall or something. So it's like, there is a danger that you could just squeeze emotion out of nothing, which isn't relevant. So it's about finding a driver, an emotional driver that isn't just generic. It's very much tied to what you do. You ask two things. How do I find out and how do I get it through the board? The getting it through the board is easy, but you just try it. 
you just sneak it yeah. in. You just do one campaign. Because I think with video, we can sometimes think about 60 second brand films, but actually you're doing all sorts of other stuff, podcasts, webinars, mid funnel, how to videos. Yeah. And it's just a case of let's try a message at the beginning and let's see what the click through rate is and the engagement rate. So let's say you're doing YouTube videos and you try an emotional connection, you try some kind of message and everyone's dropping off after four seconds, then you know that is not landing. But if actually you've got an engagement rate which goes over 30 seconds, you're pushing into 40 seconds, you know that message is landing. So it's kind of a trial and error. But how you actually get to that point is what we normally do is get all the stakeholders in a room, we get a big thing of post-its out and we start going, right, why do people care about your product? And the first half dozen things will come out will be, we save money or we turn around the amount of processing time and you stick them all on the wall and then you go, does anybody actually care? Do you know what I mean? Does anybody actually care about those things? <laughs> and you have a really honest conversation. Then you drill down and go, okay, all those things on the board, what do they actually do for the consumer? And it might be, they can finish half an hour early and they can go and see their kid. They can do that. So there's, a, I can't remember again the brand, but there's a really good, I think it was some financial brand. It's like, you can use their app to monitor how this particular thing is doing and in the advert, someone uses that time to go and see their kid in a ballet and they get to support their child because they get away from work early. It's like, just get it all up on the board. And then what we normally find is there's some that are like too risky. For example, if you're saying, well, we know you're a bit lazy and this makes your life easy, like that's never going to float, right? But there's a sweet spot of discussion in the room about two or three things that really might resonate. And then you just test them. I appreciate that you are saying bringing in all of the stakeholders because I can't remember if we were talking about this before we started. <laughs> we'll leave out the argumentative ones. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I can't even remember if we were talking about it before we started recording or while we were recording, but it really is getting everybody aligned so that there's not this internal I don't want to say argument because that sounds so negative, but for lack of a better word, an internal argument about what we should be saying about ourselves, right? When you lead with emotion, I think it's so key to get everybody on the same board and kind of aligned. And when you involve everybody, it really does help. I am kind of curious. We've talked about the emotion part and we've talked about some really positive emotions. What are your thoughts or do you have thoughts on this on the negative emotions playing into campaigns. Do you know what I mean? Like anger? Yeah. There's anger, there's FOMO, there is fear. You can use those very effectively. You know, we do a lot of charity marketing and charity comms and okay, let's take charity because it's a nice, easy, clear thing. Traditionally, you'd go, here's some video footage of a child dying of starvation. That's punchy, right? But you can get fatigued by that. But actually, let's talk about how you can go for a run near to you and feel better, but also make money by running, using an app or whatever. It's like, everybody know it's shit, right? We know there's people starving. We don't need to necessarily hit that all the time. Here's what you can do about yeah. it. So you can use the fear, but it isn't necessarily as effective as going, there's actually something you can do. But the classic model is you spend the first third setting up the problem and the last two thirds setting up the solution. So I don't think there's anything wrong with negative emotions. I think anger is a really interesting one, right? Certainly fear, distress, empathy, they all work. There's nothing wrong with if you don't use this product, you're just going to get worse or you're going to lose money. No, they're fine. You just need to get to the solution quickly. Yeah. And I like the breakdown of setting up the problem in the first third and then solving it for the viewer or the consumer in the last two thirds? I was just going to say there is 
video's massive, right? And we're kind of talking here about 30s and 60 brand spots where we're doing it. It's like, but that's only part of it. If you're doing a 15 second TikTok, it just needs to be funny. Yeah. There doesn't need to be any brand messages in there. So it's very easy to go down with video like a whole, like, right, we're doing a 30 second, 60 second brand spot. There's like two hour podcasts. There's like all these different social media. So it's like, if the image moves, it's video. I think what we've been particularly talking about is those brandy top of funnel things. Yes. But as you move through the funnel into like help content, you can make reference to the emotional stuff that's in the big campaign, but really you're trying to crack on with answering the problem as soon as you can. Yeah, absolutely. That was just a little, a little sort of note, really. It's actually a really good segue because my question was going to be much more on the length of it because we have been talking about setting up and telling the story and making that emotional connection. I am a big believer that storytelling is a part of any really good marketing campaign, regardless of length. But I am really curious, how do you create that 60 second video that's going to do all the things that you want it to do? Or maybe it's the advice is don't force that 60 second video to do all the things you want it to do. I've just been in so many of these situations where people think like, oh my gosh, this three minute video is going to change the world for us. But it takes a lot to put a video together, in my opinion, coming from the content side of it. So I'm really curious of your thoughts on maybe it's not how do you go from like a three to seven minute to a 60 second and still being able to make both of them compelling. Is there a formula for the 60 second that's different? Do you know what a spork is? Of course. Right. So a spork is a spoon and a fork. And it's a really, really, really bad spoon. And it's a really bad fork. It doesn't do either of them very well. And the ones with little knives on the end, you can't even hold them very comfortably. It's like a spork is not a good tool. It's not a good spoon. It's not a good fork. It's not a good knife. And it's the same with video. If you try and make a three minute, that's everything for all the various departments that works for sales and comms and internal HR and all the rest of it, it's going to be a disaster. So my thing is one thing per video, right? There's one goal. This is what we're trying to do. And the way that you can placate all the stakeholders in the room is we'll try and what we do is we'll go, okay, instead of a four minute film, that's everything. It's got an intro and then all the different verticals that we do. We go, okay, we're going to do a 30 second brand spot, which is about who we are and why we care and we get you. And this is that emotional thing. But then each department's going to get a 60 second, which sits on their own landing page, which explains what they do. And then everybody gets what they want, right? All the stakeholders of the room just want their bit in the film. And we go, your bit isn't in this film, but you've got a whole thing over here where you get to dig into what you do. So we do lots of films. And I think that's the difference. It's like, don't do one that does everything, get a plan that does everything. So you'll have at the top of the funnel, something hero, grab attention, then that's going to drive traffic to the next layer, which is like, okay, what do we actually do? Next layer, what do people say about us? Next layer, what's the breakdown? Deep dive into the detail. So we view it as a funnel with lots of different content, answering each of the problems at each stage of the funnel, rather than we're going to make a 60 second promo and it's going to sort our lives out because it just isn't going to do that. It's impossible. And I think also, especially with people's attention spans being so short, it's got to be really freaking compelling for someone to be able to watch a length of a video. And maybe compelling is too dramatic, but you can lose me easily in the first 60 seconds if you don't quickly get to the point of what the next six minutes of this video is going to be. 
Yeah. And I think that this idea of attention spans is really interesting because I think we can all binge a box set, right? We can all sit there for 10 hours and pay attention. It's more like we're competing for a finite amount of attention. And your biggest competition is not another brand. Your biggest competition is Netflix or your biggest competition is, you know, something that's coming out on the TV. It's like, we've only got eight hours of screen time a day, right? And it's how do we get that? So it's about how you steal the attention. But some of the most successful films we're doing at the moment are nine minutes long. We're doing a documentary series about how healthcare is connected to the future of the planet and climate change. And the idea is we can have the best healthcare in the world, but if we're on a planet that's burning, we're screwed. So it's like we need to sort the planet out so that we can sort our own health out. And we're doing amazingly well with those nine minute films. But equally, we're also doing six second TikToks and 15 second TikToks. I've completely lost my strain of thought. What I'm saying is if it's a deep dive topic and you're at the right part of the funnel, people will do six minutes because they're in learning mode. But if you're catching them on the bus as they're running to work and you just want to get a brand name, you're going to have them for five seconds. It's not only where people are in the sales funnel, it's like where they are in their day. Are they getting on the bus? Are you talking to them quickly via social? Have they read an email and they're deep diving into who you are? So it's like understanding where you are. It's a very complicated world. I'm making it sound much more complicated than it is, but understand where they are and when they're watching it. I don't think that we honestly, as marketers, talk about this enough, that there are so many elements that go into it. I mean, you see a ton of articles out there, right? Like videos, everything. Video marketing is everything. You're not in the game unless you're doing video. Oh my gosh, you can almost get just fatigued thinking of all the things that you're not doing. Yeah. But I also think you have to be very strategic about it to your point. Where are they in the funnel? And the way to me that marries with like even your paid strategy is, then don't turn your ads on in the middle of the day. If this piece is made to be consumed in an entertaining way, when are people consuming that kind of content? And to your point, where are they at when they are also consuming that content as well too? You have to be able to connect all of these dots to really be incredibly effective. So that to me is a fascinating thing. Yeah. Have you ever read Binet and Field? They did a book called The Long and the Short of It. It was bought by the IPA, Internet Publishers Association, I think it was. So basically, they've done a bunch of research and successful brands will be working 60% of their output on long-term brand building and 40% on response. So 60% is like, this is who we are, this is what we stand for, but 40% is going to be direct response. So when you're looking at your marketing mix, you're thinking, where is this video going? Is this a brand piece, which is top of funnel? Or is it for people who are literally in market, who are searching for the thing that I'm selling right now? And it's like when you understand if it's brand building or activation or response, that really informs you. So we're working with an electric charging company at the moment. They initially started with, we're going to do a brand campaign and it's going to be influencer driven and it's going to be all this kind of stuff. Turns out their tactical things is they need to make some money now. So what we're instead doing is paid ads for people who are literally in market searching for very specific key terms. So it's exactly what you just said. It's like, what are we trying to do here? Are we brand building or are we just trying to make some money in the next two weeks? Because they're totally different things. Those are totally different things. And I actually kind of like that you brought into the conversation influencers or mentioning of influencers, because I think that if you are a smaller brand and you do have influencers that you're working with, I think what we're talking about as far as the storytelling and meeting people where they're at, leveraging influencers for that to be your video makers of that. Like, when can I use this for what? I think you can get really, I don't want to say structured, but also you can get real strategic with how you're leveraging Mm. your influencers. Like, this is the message I'm trying to get across. I don't know the best way to do it. You know your audience. How do you do that? I think like that's even an effective way to 
do more with less. Yes. Also, there's a thing. Influencers are going to sort our lives out. It's in the mix, right? It's really good at certain things, amazingly good at certain things. But what influencer marketing does, from my humble opinion, is where we use it. It's like great for driving brand awareness and great for answering specific things around what your brand does in a sort of general way. Absolutely. And it can even be really useful if it's done right to drive traffic, but it's not going to convert traffic on your site. So it's like, what you can do is you can use that same influencer and do some brand made content that sits on your site that answers more specific problems. So again, it's like, where are we in the funnel and how to most effectively use it? But yeah, influencer stuff we're doing at the moment is smashing it ridiculous we're getting some crazy views but you have to have that backed up with the rest of the plan of like right where am i sending them what am i telling them yeah where are we sending them what are we telling them are we hitting their emotions there are a lot of things that we kind of covered in the conversation and before we do end this i'd love to hear your thoughts on where do you think video marketing is going over the next five years because i think it's already evolved so much especially with TikTok, right? Because everything's gotten smaller, smaller, smaller. But then I also see the shift to like longer, 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 shorter videos. That seems like an oxymoron, but we go from super short to like, now let's expand on that. So I'm kind of curious, how do you see video marketing evolving over the next five years? I think it's going to continue doing what it's so like 10 years ago, we made one 16 by nine film that went on a DVD and we posted it to you. That was how it got done. And then to that, we added a YouTube. So we would do a DVD and then a YouTube thing. And it's like, now we're adding one ones on Insta and nine sixteens on TikTok. And we're adding point of purchase and we're adding all these kind of other things. So I think what's going to happen is it's just going to get more complicated. There's going to be more players. Everyone's saying long form is the thing and short form is the thing. And I think there is more of a sway. What's happening at the moment is there's a divergence. The short is getting shorter and the longer is getting longer. So we are not really making two or three minutes at the moment. We're making 15s, 25s, 30s, 59s, and then seven minutes and 10 minutes. And that middle bit is gone. And I think <laughs> yes. that's good because that is like, are we deep dive? Am I understanding the product or am I just getting some noise and being made to laugh and stuff? So I think that's going to happen. And I think personalization is going to be the big thing. So we haven't really touched on this, but the personalization technology now means that I can send one person a video that feeds back to them any data that I have about them, their name, their age, what they've bought, and they can get a video that's personal to them. We've done some work with a sports club and you can say, hey, James, thanks for coming to 15 games this season. You saw 32 goals. You've seen this and this and this, and it make, it personalizes. It's like the Spotify wrapped, right? At the end of the year, you can send people very specific things. We're also working with pension companies to say, hello, Sarah, your pension is now worth this much. You've invested this much and you can take this much out when you retire. It's like very, very personalized content. And I think that's a massive way that it's going to go. I feel like we could totally do a completely other podcast just on personalization. Yeah, absolutely. I have such opinions about it because I think so often people are like, personalization, sure, insert name here. I'm like, that's not really personalization, dude. It's so much more than that. We did a campaign, literally went live two weeks ago. 60% open rate, which is very, very good. 98% engagement rate. So 98% of people watched all of it. I mean, it's insane. That is an insane percentage. Yeah, because you send someone video about themselves because everyone's a bit narcissistic, right? We want to watch a video that's all about us. So it's like people watch it to the end. (laughs) Tell me more about this person. Talk about emotions. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a good emotional driver, you know, everyone's favorite topic. 
And it's funny because you said 98% engagement, which is really huge. But for our listeners, what is a quote unquote good engagement rate on like a video? Let's start with how many people watch it. Let's say you've got a YouTube channel and you open your YouTube channel and you're getting a click-through rate of 5 to 10%. You're doing well. Above 10%, you're smashing it. 2.4%, 2%, you're doing really badly. If you're getting click-through rates of those, you need to be looking at your thumbnails. You need to be looking at your meta tags. You need to be looking at your titles. Like You're in trouble there. Because actually, if you think about it, if you move the needle of click-through rate from 25 to 5%, you're doubling the amount of views you get. So every time you double the click-through rate, you double the amount of views you get. And it's like, well, actually, if I could double the amount of views I get just by changing the thumbnail and the title, I'm going to do that. Then engagement rate. If you're doing a TikTok or some shorts, then engagement rates of like 80%, I think are good. If you're doing a long form on YouTube, let's say it's eight minutes long, YouTube is going to start rewarding you if the average view time is over like four and a half minutes. So the reason that we're getting longer is because YouTube wants people to stay on YouTube and watch it for as long as possible. So if you do a 10 minute film, they would much rather half an audience watch five minutes of a 10 minute than a whole audience watches a two minute. If you think about the amount of time that people are on platform. Yeah. So if you have a longer film and you keep people for half of it, they push you up the algorithm. You get found more via search because you're keeping people on YouTube. I can also do a whole podcast on this. Ah, We've got so many multiple topics (laughs) that are coming up. I didn't even plan on asking that question, but I also think it's so important for people who are listening because I think we look at views and there are all of these thoughts and there are all these articles, but in reality, what is good? I'm also a big believer that you kind of have to measure yourself against like your own goals as well too. Let's say you're just starting off with video and you do get the 2%, right? With your next video, you've got to improve on that. To me, it's always like improve on what you did before. That's how you know that your message is hitting and all of that stuff. So yes, I mean, I think that you can compare your metrics with the standard quote unquote, but also you have to always be improving on whatever it is that you sought out to do because you're the one that's pulling the levers and turning the knobs. Yeah. So very, very quickly, if you're top of funnel, your metrics should be views and engagement rate. And if you're bottom of funnel, it should be cold, hard clicks. You don't care if only 10 people watch it as long as 10 people click it. Whereas at the top of the funnel, you want millions of views or hundreds of thousands of views. And you don't really care if they click because you're different things. So yeah. It's figuring out what you're trying to do and base your metrics on that. I could talk to you for so much more time. I do have one final question and this one's the fun question. Here we go, because you've given me so much time, but I'd love to know if you knew then what you know now, what's the marketing advice that you give to yourself? Take a break. (laughs) Give yourself a break. Okay. There's two sensible answers. Number one is be prepared to fail sooner and iterate faster. Mm, love that. Test it, fail, move on. Test, fail, move on. That's my number one advice. Really get your measurements right, test if it's working and then ditch it and go, yeah, that didn't work and do something else. So that's kind of my marketing thing. The other one, I think the real advice is like, if I was talking to my 20 year old self, take a break, take those screen breaks. Don't burn out. (laughs) Because I think in marketing, there's always something you haven't done. There's always a blog you haven't written. There's always a strategy you haven't written. And you need to step away and go for a walk so that you can come back and focus on the right thing. That's my life advice. (laughs) Both really great pieces of advice. I won't get them tattooed, but I will write them on my No, no. Well, they're quite long answers to get tattooed, you know? (laughs) They would be very, very long. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and bestowing your words of wisdom at the end, but also sharing your insights throughout our conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
in a world of short videos, long form content, or really anything that's like moving pictures, I think it's imperative for marketers to stay on top of video. Latest, greatest, how to tell a story behind it. It can't just be all about getting all the sexy things together. We can't all be Spielberg. Am I right? I was able to put together some key takeaways for you so that you walk away with some nuggets here. So here's my first one. First key takeaway for video marketing is emotion is a powerful tool. Building emotional connections with your audience through storytelling is essential for effective marketing. Find the right emotional driver that is relevant to your brand and audience and test its impact through various channels to really gauge the engagement. You've got to be able to test it out. It's not enough to have a theory. You have to put it to the test, take a look at the data, and that will tell you whether it's working or not. Second key takeaway, tailor video content to different funnel stages. This, I feel like seems very obvious, but I think it's worth stating because we talked about it, but also it's a great key takeaway. Understand where your audience is in their buyer's journey and create video content accordingly. Short, attention-grabbing videos work well for the top of funnel awareness, while longer, informative content suits those deeper in the consideration stage. And even honestly, on the other side of the funnel, once they become customers, you know, help them learn the tool or learn a little bit more about your product. Video is a great way to do that. And the last key takeaway, embrace personalization. Leverage personalization technology to really create those tailored video experiences for your audience. Personalized videos can significantly enhance engagement by making your audience feel seen and understood. Remember, combining emotional storytelling, funnel-specific content, and personalized experiences will give your video marketing strategy a competitive edge and resonate with your target audience. That's what you want. Slide into my DMs and share what your key takeaways were from today's episode. Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special shout out to the amazing podcast producers at Content Allies. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about John or how you can get in touch with me. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.